Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and everybody in between, welcome to another episode of the Jake Hotel Sports Experience. First episode in a few days, in a week. I don't know. There's been a delay. There was a delay. We didn't get a preview episode in, I think. Um, but that's just one of those things. Stiff bickies. Life. Life gets in the way sometimes. Um, I'm assuming my co host can still hear me can you still hear me i can still hear you you got me they've got new technology today yeah (laughs) that's right that's right no all good yeah we've got much to talk about when i say we i mean myself jake and my partner in football and crime jack how are you mate good uh yeah i feel like it's been too long since we've talked football so i'm keen to get back into it uh we had a great week of football uh that just came by so yeah keen to get stuck into it absolutely absolutely and i'll be honest we're not going to get to all of it today it's just impossible it's impossible to get it all in but we will hit the importance of this episode is to hit the keenest points that we walked away from this weekend with um and there's a lot of places we could start. I sort of want to touch today on the Ravens and the Steelers. I want to talk about the Bucks and the Niners. I want to get to the Vikings and the Lions. Maybe talk a little bit of Jets, Bills. Don't know if you saw that game. Um, maybe some Dolphins, Chargers. Uh, I personally think I'll give you two options. Do you want to lead the show with your pain or do you want to lead the show with my pain? That's the question. I really don't mind. So do you have somewhere, do you want to get some Steelers stuff off your chest? Because I feel like I'm in a pretty good place because of our team's record, but maybe you feel like you need to get this off your chest with the Steelers. No, yeah, that's good. Let's start there. Let's start with the Steelers and the Ravens. Uh, Look, pain is a strong word. I was very much over this loss within a few hours after it happening. Um, but, you know, you and I had a chat uh, a few days ago about, like, oh, how do you, you know, like, what sort of analysis do we want to give here, you know, on the show? What do we want to focus on? And, you know, so I went into the 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 weekend, you know, thinking about that and thinking about how I watch games and the things you take away and notice that, um, you know, that you can deliver to people that maybe who don't get to see every game, you know, that they might not have seen it. Or, you know, honestly, sometimes you're just watching a game as a fan and I have plenty of those experiences and you just don't have like, you know, a key like, uh, you know, analytical takeaway as a fan. You're just like, man, like that was a close game. The Steelers kind of fucked it up. And, you know, the Steelers lose 16 to 14 at home to the Ravens. It pretty much kills their playoff hopes. If they'd won this game, you know, and been able to get to six and seven, um, then they were in that playoff hunt. But th- this pretty much kills that. Uh, Kenny Pickett was knocked out relatively early in the game. Uh, he had he only completed one. Uh, sorry, he only attempted one pass and rushed twice um, before he was knocked out of the game on a really ugly hit where he was slung around. They basically grabbed his face mask, slung him around, smashed him into the ground. Um, I. Don't even know if there was a flag on that play, to be completely honest, but there should have been. Um, And the Ravens ran really well, gashed us on the ground, uh, 215 yards on 42 carries. The Steelers couldn't run the ball. But, man, the Steelers could move the ball through the air. And that was the story for me. The Steelers could move the ball on this Ravens defense. Uh, Mitch Trubisky came in, went 22 of 31 for 276 yards, a touchdown and three interceptions, the only three turnovers in the game. And in a game where you lose by two points, three interceptions feels like a massive thing. And I just wanted to bring this to you. I don't know if you watch the game, Jacko, but to the listener as well. And there's been people saying about Kenny Pickett this year that the Steelers, you know, if CJ Stroud's there or if this player's there in the draft, they've got to draft, you know, quarterback again next year. To that, I say, out of your fucking mind, like, Kenny Pickett has been really improving. And I think I put a tweet up after this game saying 
the difference between a quarterback who can hold and manipulate the defense with his eyes and one that can't is the difference between having a viable starting quarterback on your team and not. It's the difference between having Kenny Pickett as your quarterback and having Mitch Trubisky as your quarterback. And, you know, breaking that down, watching the games, it was really clear. Mitch Trubisky, the ball is snapped and he looks to where he's going to throw it. And that was, you know, there's an interception, I think, throwing to Deontay Johnson, looking at him, looking at him, looking at him. As soon as the ball's snapped, throw, oh, the DB picks it. Another one to Pat Frymuth, looking at it, looking at it, looking at it, I'll throw, and picked off. And then a deep ball um, pick that was a strange play call in the situation. I think it was second and short from memory, and they dial up a, a, a deep shot. It's well overthrown. The safety gets across and gets it. But And, you know, I think if you go back and look at that on film, I'd be really interested to see if Trubisky was watching that deep target the whole way. And that allows the safety to go, where the fuck's Trubisky throwing it? Oh, that guy there. So I'm just going to float across and pick it off. And it's a massive difference. And it's a difference, in my opinion, that Pickett makes. Kenny Pickett has those subtle quarterback skills. He doesn't have the strongest arm in the league, but I don't, I don't care. Um, you can see the improvement he's made as a quarterback, but man, that was my big takeaway coming out of this game. A loss by two points and three picks, and it really came down to the difference of can your quarterback fool and manipulate the defense with his eyes? And that is like the thin margins on which NFL teams and NFL coaches' lives exist because that's the difference between the Steelers being six and seven and the Steelers being five and eight. It's the difference between whether Mike Tomlin gets to 500 or above 500 and preserves that record. Um, and, you know, Mitch Trubisky, I said to you, the way that the proof is in the pudding in terms of when the play broke down, Mitch Trubisky made some fucking unbelievable throws. When it was like, when when he didn't know who he was going to throw it to, then the defense didn't know who he was going to throw it to. And so then he becomes dangerous. But when it's schemed, he looks for that receiver. He looks as soon as the ball is snapped. There's no trickery with the eyes. There's no quarterback artistry with the eyes. Credit to him. He made some absolutely killer plays when he was on the run, when the play broke down. But man, that is the difference in the jungle of the NFL quarterback landscape. If you can't fool the predators with your eyes, they will get you every fucking time. And the Ravens got them. Ravens aren't that good. Ravens aren't that good. Steelers threw on them. It was just a couple of bad quarterback plays um, that led to this loss, really. Um, and, and and the defense getting run on, they were out there way too much. They were put in way too bad positions too often. Um, yeah, and they could have defended the run a little bit better as well, but Jesus. It was, um, that was my big takeaway from this game, man. Quarterbacks eyes make a difference, make a massive difference. Um, I'm happy. That's what I wanted to get off my chest. I needed to get out there. I don't know if you've got thoughts on it as far as quarterback play and that sort of thing. I, th I thought you saw some stuff from Brock Purdy for the 49ers. Like he has that, you know, like he, he has the ability to pump fake and, and fool a defense and, um, yeah, I guess I'll throw to you. You can either talk about another game or if you want to build on anything here, we we can certainly happy to have that it's very conversation. Interesting that you, it's, it's very interesting that you bring that up about Trubisky and you know his uh, his ability or lack of ability to hold the defense with his eyes and like comparing it to Kenny Pickett because you would almost think in a vacuum the roles would be reversed, that the rookie QB with that NFL experience would be the one that just looks at one read and follows it um, and doesn't fool the defense and the seasoned mm. quarterback like Trubisky, who's been a starter in this league. And, you know, up until recently, I still thought he could still be a starter. He seemed like the kind of guy that, you know, takes a bit of a drop and is a backup, but could easily work his way back up to be a starter. Like, I still think he has those skills. So it's really interesting that I think you accurately point out that I guess this is why he isn't a starter anymore is because this seems to be a weakness that he has that he he has some he has some strengths like I said I still think there are some teams oh, yeah. 
that could use a quarterback like Trubisky. Uh, but I think it also mm. shows why you stick with Pickett because a rookie to have that skill set, I think that's really impressive. And I don't know, you, you've watched the Steelers a lot more than me, but of what I have seen with the Steelers and Kenny Pickett, like he doesn't seem to have a massive flaw. Like he has issues, but there's nothing that you watch him and go, ah, that's going to be a real problem with Kenny Pickett. He has this, but this is going to be a real issue for him. Like, it doesn't seem like he turns the ball over more than your average rookie. doesn't seem like he has, you know, an extraordinarily weak arm. Like, he has his issues like any rookie quarterback would. But, um, and feel free to elaborate on this, like, he doesn't seem to have any glaring issues, just things that if he can work on and get better at as well as continue to improve the things he's really good at, he could be a really good quarterback for the Steelers. Yeah, for sure. And and like, you know, me saying, you know, it's the difference between having Pickett or Trubisky, you know, it's a different, like Pickett isn't perfect, you know, but, but what you have with him is you see a dude who, you know, like has shown the ability to learn and improve. You know, but but this has been a bit of a thing with Trubisky the whole way through, you know, and and it's it's a, a criticism of lots of quarterbacks. He's not the only quarterback in the NFL who you know who can get fixated on the target. You know, you know, you know, you pre-snap, you know who you meant to be throwing to, or you know who that hot read is. And this, you know, the skill is in disguising that that's not who we're going to. You know, and you see. You know, guys like Aaron Rodgers, guys like Tom Brady, you know, lots of really effective quarterbacks um, at the professional level do this. You can hold the safety. You can move the safety. Um, you know, Big Ben was was great at moving the safety with the pump fake, and that's exactly who I thought of, you know, when, when I saw Brock Purdy do that. Not that Brock Purdy, you know, looks much like Big Ben, but it's just those little skills. Um like I said, Trubisky's dangerous when he's on the move because he can move around and he delivered some dimes, like far be it from, from me to eviscerate his whole performance. Like, you know, he came in, he was 22 of 30, 276 yards, a touchdown and the three picks. This is the problem, you know, that, okay, he only missed eight throws. Oh, but three of those were to the other team, you know, and you couldn't get easier interceptions and they all came, if not in the opposition half, pretty deep in the opposition territory. So you think about it, you know, if that's two field goals that you've just given away, say, you know, say if one of them maybe wasn't, that the deep shot really wasn't in field goal range, but the other two, you're moving the ball into opponent territory, deep into opponent territory, you lose the game by two. You know, so all you need is one of those, and it's, yeah, it's frustrating. Both times I was like, fuck, wasted opportunity. And that's just something I feel like with Pickett, you might have to settle for field goals, but his last you know month and a half, he has really cleaned up the turnover game. I feel like I really do have some faith that next year he can really blossom. Like there's just a feeling when he comes out for me to lead the offense, and you could see that early in the season when Trubisky was the starter and Pickett wasn't. Just not only the crowd, but the team just picks up, and you're just like, this dude gets it. This dude knows how to move the ball. He knows how to get in a huddle and command an offense and move it around. Like I said, Trubisky, you know, was 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 not absolutely terrible across the day, but unfortunately he was absolutely terrible in three key moments. You know, it's, it's, it's frustrating. It's really frustrating because you just, and illuminating, really educational on the, these are the things, you know, sometimes you're like, oh, you know, quarterback X with a strong arm and the ability to scramble and whatever it might be. He didn't make it in the NFL. I don't get it. It's like, these are the things. This is the shit that Joe Burrow can do. You know, this is the shit Patrick Mahomes can do. That's the difference. That is the difference. Um, so, yeah, but happy happy to move on from this game. Um, George Pickens is a stud. Deontay Johnson is a real, like, if that's your number one and two wide receivers, Pat Frymouth is a really good tight end. Um, I like where the, I, I like a lot of the shape of this Steelers team. I think if Pickett had played, we would have won. So 
yeah, I think people have got to really cool down. The defense, if anything, still needs some fixing, you know, in terms of personnel. There were moments where it's like, how the fuck is that guy that wide open? You know, and he's just like, there's no one within like 15 meters of him. Like, yeah, I'd be, I'd be looking on that side of the ball personally. Um, yeah, this idea that we've got to go and get another quarterback. Very weird to me. Let's move on though, Jacko. Let's talk about something else. Do you want to talk about Brock Purdy while we're on quarterback play? Because Let's do it. That's the story of the week, I reckon. Man. Fucking oath. He lit it up. He lit it up. Brock Purdy. Mr. Irrelevant. Um, 16 of 21, 185 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. Um, and like drop dimes, Jacko. What, what, what did you, yeah, yeah. The rush, the rush. What were your takeaways from this game? Like they were, I'm just trying to find like the, the pattern of scoring. They were up 28, nothing. And I think it was 35, nothing, um, in the third quarter. Yeah. 35, nothing early in the third quarter, like they could have put more on this team if they had so desired, couldn't they? Yeah, this was possibly one of the most embarrassing losses in Tom Brady's career. I would really put it up there because not Mm. only did he have a pretty poor game um, for the Bucs, but he was outshined by, yeah, Mr. Irrelevant, by a quarterback who, you know, He's a third stringer, probably thought he was never going to see the field of an NFL game and has come out and put out some pretty damn impressive quarters of football. And, you know, it's tough to figure out how much credit goes where. Like, is this Brock Purdy? Is this coaching? Is this 49ers defense? Is it the 49ers skill offensive players? Like, it, it is difficult to figure out of the 49ers pie, how big is the slice that we're giving to Brock Purdy? Uh, but I would say you give, you know, you give quite a bit of that pie to Purdy. I, I really do. You, you give him the Purdy pie because Purdy pie. he's gone out and he's, like I said, had no expectation of playing NFL football this year, if if at all, right? And he's come into this offense and he's been more than serviceable. He's been really good. Yeah. He's been really good. He's been effective. He's been accurate. He's made the deep throws as well. Like, I, I forget the stat, but I think he, in the mm. games he started this season, he's thrown more deep passes, completed more deep passes than Jimmy Garoppolo has in the last three years. I think it was something crazy like that, <laughs> where they, the 49ers, deep, the 49ers <laughs> offense just doesn't let... <laughs> Jimmy Garoppolo <laughs> throw the way that Brock Purdy does, and why would you? It's it's interesting as well because <laughs> you would you could, you could argue that they're quite similar quarterbacks, but it seems like the 49ers mm. are doing something different, maybe marginal, but something different in the playbook with Purdy because it seems like their offense is more explosive with him playing, and you would think it would be the opposite that okay, the backup comes in, you know maybe we kind of simplify the playbook run the ball, run the ball, and they have been running the ball, as you would if you have, you know, Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel. So, yeah, I, I think it's really an impressive uh, story that Brock Purdy is laying out for himself. And as much as I don't want to root too hard because, you know, the, the 49ers are an NFC team and, you know, don't want them to go ahead of the Vikings, but it's one of those situations where if the Vikings, you know, if they play San Francisco – in the playoffs and San Francisco wins. I won't be too mad. I'll be mad because I'm a Minnesota fan, but like I, I am really interested to see where this goes. Cause what a story. If Brock Purdy, the last pick in the draft leads this team. And I know they've got all these other players and coaches and whatnot, but he is quarterback. You can't all of a sudden say, oh, now he's not the focus of an offense like you would with every other quarterback, just because he's Brock Purdy, right? Be consistent. He is leading, He will be leading this team into the playoffs. And if he leads them to a Super Bowl, I'll be cheering just as hard as any other 49ers fan. And he's fun to watch, right? Like, he's not boring. Yeah. He's not by the numbers. He's escaping pressure. Like, he, he's making plays. It's really quite unbelievable. And I think it, it, it 
made the picture even sadder that he was doing it against, not literally against Tom Brady, but you would see one drive with Tom Brady, the greatest of all time, you know, go three and out. And then Brock Purdy, of all quarterbacks, goes goes down and, you know, leads a scoring drive. Drive after drive yeah. after drive. Um, against, I know the Bucks defense isn't as good as it used to be, but I still really rate their defense. I think they've still got some real good playmakers there. And just lit them up. Uh, oh, yeah. This 49ers team... The last few weeks have kind of been like, uh, are they that good? Are people rating them too highly? But I think they are legit. I think that they rival the Eagles as one of the best teams in the NFC. Because my only issue with the 49ers was quarterback. And now I think they've made an upgrade. I really do. Like, I, I think Jimmy G's okay. I would say Brock Purdy is a is an upgrade over Jimmy G. If I'm being ridiculous, uh, feel free to, to to add anything to to counter that. But I feel like he's an upgrade, and I think he makes this great team even better. Well, w- what it is for me is it's it's <laughs> it's a quarterback that I think of of a type that Kyle Shanahan loves. You know, yeah. kind of overlooked, underrated. It it you know what it's made me think all sorts of things about the Trey Lance trade. I'm fascinated to see if we ever work out whose pick was that, because Kyle Shanahan's favorite quarterbacks have been Jimmy G, you know Brock Purdy, Nick Mullins, these sorts of guys. There was rumors that the 49ers wanted to draft Mac Jones. None of those. So was it a front office pick that pulled rank? Was it ownership? Well, who was it? I don't know. Maybe it was Kyle Shanahan. But like they gave up. It's kind of overlooked how much they gave up to get Trey Lance. Like it was a lot. Was it three first round picks? Two or three first round picks to move up? Yeah, minimum. Um, it, it was it was a high amount of picks to move up to get Trey Lance. And Trey Lance, to me, it was like. Why do we need this? As in, what what I think Brock Purdy demonstrates is that the offense just needs someone to put the key in and run it and drive the car well. We don't need the driver themselves to be extra spicy, sort of thing. We don't need any extra from 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 the driver. Like, and and what's funny, Purdy kind of offered something a bit extra. You know, he did you see him doing the little finger guns after he pump faked and threw the touchdown? He gave a little like bang, bang, bang as he walked off the sideline. This is after like, I think it was one or two plays after he threw a pick that was overturned um, for, for a hold or some something like that. You know, who knows? You know, throw uh, just throw any foul out there. There was probably a flag for it this weekend. A lot of laundry uh, in these games. So like, it's brought up that interesting question for me of like, Man, who made that pick? Because it's just weird. Like, maybe they all love Trey Lance. And I love Trey Lance coming out of the draft. I thought he was a really fun kind of prospect. Always seemed like somewhat of a weird fit. But maybe, you know, you kind of look at it and go, oh, oh, you compare him with the run game. And I don't know. Brock Purdy, for me, you want someone who can manage that game. We've got, like, everybody on this offense is fucking fast. Everyone is a yak monster. All we need is someone to be able to read defenses and efficiently get the ball into the hands of the apex predators. You know, the, the, the guys who are just going to eviscerate everyone else. And like, that's what Brock Purdy did. So I'm interested to see. I'm interested to see Jacko because Nick Mullins kind of had these games at times. Like what I mean is, Shanahan had the, has had these quarterbacks where it's like, holy shit, you know, you got the most out of that guy. Now he has played the best part of two games. I'm just interested to see. I, I, I'm, I'm with you though. Like it's an awesome storyline to root for. So happy for the dude um, representing the Big 12, you know, Iowa State. Even if they don't win, even if they don't win the Super Bowl, right? Let's say they win a playoff game, maybe lose another. Mm. Hell, I, I really could see them going to the conference championship, but regardless of how deep into the playoffs they go, if they get that far, th- that it, they've gone above mm. and beyond, right? 
considering the sort of quarterback changes they've had. But I feel like even if they don't go that deep, even if they lose a playoff game, I think the 49ers, and assuming Purdy plays well, I think the 49ers are in a great position regarding their quarterback room. Because you're not starting Jimmy G. He's got, I, I know he played all right, but he's just, he gets hurt too much. No way is that coaching staff and that team going to rely on a guy that just keeps getting injured. You know, it's it's a bummer. It's a bummer for Jimmy, but it's just the reality of the NFL. I would find it, I would be very surprised if they start him next season. So you kind of move on from him. Then it's the Trey Lance, Brock Purdy situation. And you wonder like, okay, Trey Lance possibly could have injury issues. He'd be coming off a major injury. Haven't seen a lot of football from him in both the NFL or college. Okay. Big risk. Or we've got Brock Purdy, who is like Shanahan's guy and has led our team to the playoffs. Do we just stick with Purdy and trade Trey Lance? Because there are a lot of teams that would love a young quarterback like Trey Lance and who would pay up. I'm not saying they'll get all those picks back, the 49ers, but I think they're in a good spot. Um, If Brock Purdy shits the bed over the next month, then you're probably like, okay, it is the Nick Mullins thing, like you say. But I, I, I've got a feeling that Brock Purdy is going to be the outlier and he's actually going to play pretty well. And I think he's going to keep his job yeah. for this season. And then it becomes next season, what do they do? If you're the 49ers, are you um, – if this is the reality, plays well, not great, but plays well over the next month, let's say wins a playoff game, just one, and then they're out, the 49ers. When it comes to next season, where are you at? Trey Lance, Brock Purdy. What's the go, you reckon? Uh, I mean, it, it does depend. Like You'd have to grade the performances. You'd have to grade the nat- the natures of the loss. But like, like, if you got this most weeks out of him, if this is the way he plays... I'd, I'd be fascinated to go back and watch this game again with a more analytical mind frame because I was just in Purdy mania. I was just along for the ride. I was the like, choo-choo, all aboard the Purdy Express. I was totally here for it. So I was just like, you know, Talia and I were watching the game on the couch and just continually like looking at each other like, what the fuck? What's going Jeez, Scoob. Like, it was just like, what is going on? It was just madness. And, you know, I did say, you know, limited sample size, and it is in terms of, you know, a lot of quarterbacks throughout history have looked good for two games. But I kind of forgot that, you know, he came into that game against the Dolphins last week when they were down, uh, I believe, seven to three. Jimmy G was out early. He threw the first touchdown. He led, he led San Francisco to uh, 30 of their 33 points. So, so that that's back-to-back weeks. You know, the, the offense is essentially, you know, you know, the team has put up 65 points with Brock Purdy on the field in two weeks. Um, they've got an interesting test next week uh, at the Seahawks. Not because I think the Seahawks defense is particularly good. Um, that's actually that's actually short. That's in a couple of days, Jacko. That's Thursday night football, I believe. Is is 49ers at Seahawks. I'm I'm juiced for that game. Call me Mr. Yeah. Juicy. Um <laughs> the, I think, you know, it's the environment of that game that's going to be interesting for Brock Purdy. That's what I'm that's what I'm fascinated to see. It's the it's the it's the crowd in Seattle. Um that's what I'll be interested very because he's had two home games. It's been home against the Dolphins, it's been home against the Bucks, and now we go at the Seahawks, which is one of the more inhospitable places to go and play, particularly, you know, division rivalry. It'll be massive. That's massive. Thursday night football. Fucking bring it on. Hook it to my vein. Before we move on from this game, though, I want to, you know, you said it was, you mentioned sadness. Um, I was, I was legitimately sad about at the Tom Brady performance. I'm currently reading um, It's Better to Be Feared by Seth Wickersham and everyone who has even a fleeting interest with the New England Patriots dynasty should go and read it. 
it's I'm about a hundred pages in, and it's a fucking epic tome um, of football law, you know, or just all about the inner workings of that Patriots team. I believe Seth Wickersham was he covered the Patriots during that time. Um, so he's got a lot of ins and, you know, it's really brilliant insight. And, you know, something, you know, Brady from one chapter, you can kind of loathe him and go, my God, you know, as a kid, he's such a spoiled brat or whatever, you know, even as an adult sometimes. And then you contrast that with the fact that like he was, he was constantly overlooked. He was Mr. Irrelevant, you know, uh, in terms of the general NFL media, there are a few coaches that recognize something in him, you know, in his high school career and his college career, but they were in a minority of people. And then some of the chapters where he's, you know, first drafted and, and, and he's going back to the facility as a rookie, you know, he, he's a, you know, train all day, go and have dinner at home, then drive back at like nine o'clock at night and be there. He'd put the stadium floodlights on and be out there throwing on his own into nets deep into the night. And you just, then go from loathing him as this spoiled kind of California kid to being like, holy shit, this guy's just an animal. Like his, his work ethic, his, his relentless pursuit of greatness. Um, unmatched. I think it's very hard to think of anybody in the NFL, the history of the NFL, who has done what Brady has done. His hunger for success is, I think, unparalleled. Maybe the only person who does is is, is Belichick, you know. Um, yeah. But it was sad. So it added this extra layer of sadness because he's got gray stubble now, I've noticed. Um, it's coming through. His stat, line, his stat line really glosses over things. He ends up 34 of 55 for 253, one touchdown and two picks. Now, if you looked at that, you would go, oh, Geez, Brady had a bit of an off game, but they asked him to throw a lot, you know, 55 times that, you know, they couldn't run the ball, et cetera. But it's the nature of when that was put up. It was junk time. The, the, the Buccaneers went missed field goal, punt, 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 turnover on downs, end of half. Then they started the second half, interception, interception, touchdown, turnover on downs, fumble. The last four, uh, so he put together three drives of 10 or more plays in the last sort of quarter and a bit in the second half. Um, you know, they were gone. They were gone. They were they were dust by then. They were 35 nothing down and, and you know the, the 49ers took the, the the gas off a little bit. It was sad, man. And it was sad because this was the first time in my NFL fandom where, you know, for a long time I've rooted against Tom Brady. Like, God, he's gonna be in the Super Bowl again. He's gonna win it. He won it again with the Bucks. He can't keep getting away with this. <laughs> and it's the first time in my NFL fandom where I was like, I'm gonna miss this fucker when he's gone. And I think it's probably gonna happen sooner rather than later. Yeah. I mean, yeah. unless to connect this back to the 49ers, like is there an opportunity where Brady goes to San Fran? There are whispers in the wind. Do you know where I want him? Do you know where I want him? Have I told you this? I want Brady to spend another year of football at the New York Jets. Because I want to see Brady v. Belichick twice in the season. We that would be good. Really get a feel for it. And, and I feel like, why not? Big media market in New York. Um, he can he can essentially go where he wants to go. Um, it did cross my mind. No, I do wonder if he retires. There was it was the first time I remember ever seeing Brady like look. I hate saying it, but defeated. There was a resignation early on in this game. I don't know if you saw the footage of him on the sideline with his head, basically, you know, he had his arms crossed over his knees and his head down sort of almost in between his knees. I think it was after the 49ers scored. And I don't know, there wasn't a lot of anger. There was maybe frustration, a bit of resentment, but I didn't see a lot of anger. You know, like, I, I just feel like 
I felt sad for him, man. I felt sorry for him because a lot of, you know, you can say, you know, his decisions are of his own making and that's true, but you read these sorts of books like I'm reading and you go, this is all this guy has known. And how the hell do you stop? How the hell do you put the brakes on this thing and go, you know what? Enough's enough. I don't know if you can. And so, yeah, look, it's a weird footballing note, but I really, really genuinely hope that Tom Brady finds some fucking peace this season because it's um, it was stark, man. It was the game where he had, what, 100, 100 plus tickets for friends and family to this game. I don't know if you saw that. No. Yeah, so it's kind of a bit of a homecoming game. He grew up a 49ers fan. He's back in, you know, I think it was only the second time in his career he's played in San Francisco or something like that. And yeah, had over 100 tickets requested for his friends and family. And, and that happens. And it was like the stark contrast of this overlooked kid on the other team bursting into life. And on the other side of it, it's like Brady... You know, I don't know. We've re- it's weird, man. I don't know how to analyze this because he's been like permanent. He's been so permanent. And it's weird to think that eventually the league won't have him. There's going to come a time where it's going to come to an end. And I don't know what, how the fuck does this end look? Does it look messy? Like that was messy. Is that what the rest of the season looked like? I mean, there's, there's been lots of moments like that this season already. It's, I don't know. I'm finding it really hard to, come groups with well that's the interesting thing as well is that not just this season but throughout this sort of tail end of his career we've seen this before Mm. like i swear we've seen games where you're like oh brady looks done Mm. what a horrible game like i feel like the last few games at the patriots you're like oh like, th- this is Definitely. a sad end for Brady. And then goes to the Bucks and wins the Super Bowl. And then there's been some rock games at the Bucks, And you're like, ah, this is a failed experiment. Like, I think we've seen this before. This does feel a little different because this is a stretch. Possibly even a season where there's been the highlights. You know, there's been the comebacks this season. But throughout, it's been disappointing. And so I think that's what does put this moment apart from the other moments where we've maybe doubted how long he's going to be sticking around. I still think he's got another year in him, whether it's at the Jets, whether it's at the 49ers, whether it's at the Bucks again, although I highly doubt he's at the Bucks again. I think he's checked out of that organization. Yeah. There's even rumors he goes back to the Patriots. Like that would be interesting if he decides (laughs) to return home to Bill Belichick. I don't know where he goes, but I feel like he goes somewhere. I don't think he retires. I think if if there was any retirement in his mind, he wouldn't have divorced from Giselle. You know what I mean? Like To me, that's a sign that he's all in until he literally cannot walk out on the field anymore. So I think he's got at least another year in him until he gets injured. Like I I could see him just playing until he gets concussed and he's literally being told by doctors, you cannot play anymore. I think, and here, here's where I stand on it. I think he can still do it. I think he can still play the guitar because I think the difference between this season and the Super Bowl winning season with the Bucks, even between the season last year, last year, last season, this guy threw for 5,316 yards, 43 touchdowns, and 12 picks. To me... That guy is still there. But do you know what needed to happen for those things to happen? He had to be on absolutely the same page with him and Mike Evans. The run game had to be going. Um, they had Antonio Center. Brown. And that was what I was going to say. They had to have their whole starting offensive line. And, and they haven't had that. So this is why I wonder about somewhere like the Jets. They have Garrett Wilson, who's a fucking star. They've got Elijah Moore, who's a pretty good second. They've got a running game, Brees Hall and Michael Carter. They have a building offensive line. They've got a defense. I just wonder, like, I definitely think 
Now I'm not absolving Brady of any of this. Like there's been like there's definitely throws. He was playing badly. He was playing frustrated. But I just think the, to compare this season to his final season in New England. So this season he's 88.9 quarterback rating with 17 touchdowns, five interceptions. And three and a half thousand yards. His final season in New England, he threw for four thousand yards, twenty-four touchdowns, eight picks, and had an eighty-eight quarterback rating. Now, the last time he had a that th- those are the only seasons. This one and that one in New England since like two thousand and fourteen that he's had an eighty-eight quarterback rating. Everything else is like in the hundreds or high nineties. I I just think. This season feels very much like watching him in 2019 in New England. And I think if you put him in a fresh situation, I still think he can, I still think he can do it. I still think he has a quarterback advantage over, you know, a good two thirds of the league, if not more. And it's just now he's going to just be identifying that situation. I think it's hard to get him to, to San Francisco, to be honest. Um, However, how do you say no to Tom Brady? I don't know. Maybe you just say no. I, but... I feel like 90% of teams would take Tom Brady. There are very few teams that would say, no, thank you. Like Chiefs? Yeah. I think Chiefs are pretty happy to stay with Mahomes. Um, yeah. <laughs> beyond that, like, I was thinking, who else has some good quarterbacks? Like, Philly? I think Philly would say yes to Brady, especially with that the way that they like the run <laughs> game. Like... Buffalo, like you think of all these teams, and you're like, if they was if they were seriously offered Tom Brady, how many of them would say no? Most would say yes right off the bat, and I still think a few that have some of the best quarterbacks in the league would still go. They would still at least entertain the idea, and I think oh. that that goes to show how much of an influence Brady still has at this age and at this point in, in his career. Yeah, I don't think he's diminished physically. Do you know what I mean? I don't think I'll look at him and go, man, he can't throw the deep ball anymore. The deep ball issues are coming from, they're just not on the same fucking page. Like, they're just not on the same page. He's not being very well protected. You know, I don't know. I And, and like I said, it, it's, it's not, he plays a part in that. Do you know what I mean? He plays a part in getting on the same page and building chemistry and all of that sort of thing. But um, yeah, I don't think he's done unless he decides he's done. And I don't think he's going to decide he's done, but I agree with you. I think this is the last season in Tampa. I think they blow it up uh, in Tampa after this season. I think that a lot of, you know, pardon me, a lot of players and pieces move on. Um, And speaking of moving on, let's move on. Um, I'd like to hear from you about the Vikings and the Lions. I think this is the last game we'll cover. I just want to talk about these three matches today. Um, these were the three ones that sort of had big takeaways for me. I, I, I don't want to force the conversation about other games. Talk to me about the Vikings and the Lions. The, the Lions get a 34-23 win. Is their fifth win in a row now? Or four of their fifth mm, and six so. games or something? Um, what? You messaged me because I asked you what you know by text. What's this Lions team look like? And you said, if they play like this, they can get to the NFC Championship game. Talk to me, Goose. Tell us about this. They win thirty four twenty three. Yeah, I'll start start with Detroit because I think I think they really should lead the story Please. here because I I think they are really really talented. I think they've they're at a point now that they wish they were in week one after last season. Like, this is where they wanted to be. It's just taken them a rough patch defensively, then that rough patch offensively in the middle of the year where, you know, they were scoreless against the Patriots or whoever it was. Like, they had a real rough patch on offense as well. And now it's starting to come together. And, man, are they scary. Jared Goff is a really good quarterback right now. Right now, he's really good. He's not great. He's not generational. He's not in your top tier, but he's B plus. And I wouldn't have said that about Jared Goff ever. <laughs> like, I don't think I would have ever put him in that category. I feel like he's finally there. I think he's got a run game that supports him. That's really talented and multidimensional 
Like you've got Swift as your sort of quick elusive back. You've got you've got Williams as your, you know, pick up two yards, end zone, like touchdown running back. It's got an offensive line that's young and talented that can move the pocket and give him time. And they've got playmakers at the receiving point. Like I, I think they've got receivers that can make plays and can make contested catches and they are schemed really well where they are often just open on a lot of plays, which I think goes a long way. And you just imagine like where this offense would be if they had kept TJ Hawkinson, who has become the bright spot of Minnesota's offense since they acquired him. You just imagine if he was still in that Detroit offense, um, it's interesting, isn't it? Just a quick sidebar, like Detroit offense, as good if not better without TJ Hawkinson. Carolina Panthers, as good if not better without Christian McCaffrey. Like it's interesting how some of these teams seem uh, seem to make yeah. blowing up decisions in getting rid of personnel only to be better in that area when they get rid of said players. Man, look at look at the Seattle Seahawks. You're gonna trade franchise Super Bowl winning future Hall of Fame quarterback Russell Wilson to Denver and you're going to start Geno Smith? You're fucking insane. And and now Denver looks like a dumpster fire and Seattle are fighting for playoffs. It's... Fuck, man. It's the hard thing about talking about football from a distance because we don't know what's going on inside the building between people. It is proof that Football is more than just what's on paper. You don't win games by having a really good-looking roster. It's everything. It is everything. And I think Detroit, they're doing that. They really are. And on defense, since they got rid of their, I think, defensive backs coach, they have been real feisty on defense. Um, And I think, like we've said, that's all they need to be. They don't need to have a great defense. They just need to be okay middle of the run, like between your 12th and your, you know, 16th kind of defense. And I don't know if they literally rank like that, but they feel like that. They feel like the kind of defense that, you know, will, will give up scores, but makes enough plays. Uh, to they, they win the battle when they have to, which I think is a great transition into the Vikings, which that's been the tagline of our defense all year has been, they give up yards, they give up points, but they make plays when they have to, and they win games when they have to, and this was the first game where you're like, ah, this is not sustainable. Because at one point, at some point, you're going you're gonna to get to a point where, ah, there, we had an opportunity to make a play and we didn't make it because it's the NFL and it's a sport with physics and sometimes the ball doesn't flip your way. Sometimes when your aggressive decision doesn't work in your favor this time around and you get burnt for a touchdown. It's been a sad, frustrating decline for Minnesota's defense. Because I remember in week one against Green Bay, my takeaway was, okay, offense was a bit disappointing with Justin Jefferson, Kirk Cousins, Dalvin Cook. Couldn't really put up more points. But hey, that defense looked really good against Green Bay. And I'm really happy about that because that was our issue last season. And then the defense kept giving up points, but we're getting turnovers, getting sacks like Daniil Hunter and Zadarius Smith. What a duo. Zadarius Smith leading the league in sacks at some point in, in the season. And you're like, okay, maybe this is just who we are. We give up yards, but we make plays and get turnovers. And then the turnovers started disappearing. And then the sacks started disappearing. And we got to this point where didn't sack the quarterback, didn't get any, any turnovers and gave up 30 plus points and big plays as well. So I think this is going to be a really good reset for the Vikings and it's going to have to be a really good reset for the Vikings. But it shouldn't all be on the defense as well. Like this was just a failure on every aspect. Special teams giving up the fake punt was just frustrating because at that point in the game you felt like okay Vikings offense is coming back defense has made a couple stops 
stopped him on third down. Like, okay, we get the ball back. You know, Kirk Cousins is is unleashing. Jefferson's having a great game. Maybe we can, ah, oh, fake punt, first down. Huh? All right. Well, that that fire has been extinguished. So special teams was a real was a real disappointment. And on offense, bit of a mixed bag. Like Kirk Cousins had one of the best games in his career, like statistically right up there. 425 yards, couple touchdowns, no picks. Like he was just dealing and under immense pressure. Got sacked four times. I think got twice as many QB hits. Like he was under pressure and he was just dealing. Justin Jefferson broke the record for the most yards by a Vikings receiver ever. Like the, the offense was looking good in parts, but the run game couldn't do anything. And this is the kind of run game that as much as it might feel like betrayal, I, I, I feel like it's true. This is the kind of game that I felt like Dalvin Cook needed to have because he's had games like this, but breaks free for a 50-yard touchdown run. And everyone's like, oh, they've got a pretty good run game, Dalvin Cook. And you know, they're like, oh, they, they, they've got a pretty good run game there with, with you know, Madison and Cook and that, when really they haven't had it. But they've had a couple big plays and it makes the stats look better. This is the kind of yeah. game that they had to have. Where you're like, this is what we've been like all season. This is what Cook has looked like without the big play mm. to make it seem a little nicer. I think he ended up being like 1.9 yards a carry, <clears throat> 22 yards overall. It was just, yeah, the, the, the only positive takeaway for me was the Cousins-Jefferson uh, connection. I feel like they are a real, when they're hot, they are hot. And it, it got to a point where they're like, we're not running the ball anymore, so you know we're passing. And they still kept picking up yards. So I think that's something to build on, I guess. I, I, I think mm. Kirk Cousins said something in his press conference along this line, it's on a direct quote, that I feel like is really something I really agree with and I think is really indicative of where they're going to go. He said, sometimes, sometimes you learn more from losses than you do tough wins sometimes when you win as much as you say you know we made mistakes and we'll learn from it but good to get a win kind of gloss over some things because you know you got the win 10 and 2 winning the division as much as you don't want to you do gloss over things and sometimes you do need a loss like this and not a and not a blowout loss like a, a loss that was a loss that was kind of close a loss where you had opportunities but you didn't do it like this this felt different to dallas this felt different to Philly. This felt like a game where you had opportunities and just didn't capitalize and, you know, got a bit of a tough run. Like, I know it looks pretty easy, but who knows what to trust about this Minnesota team. Um, so I, I think for me, as much as I love Minnesota, and I think they can turn it around at the end of the day. If they don't turn it around on defense and if they don't clean up issues on offense, this team's not going to do anything in the playoffs and it'll be one and done. And they know that. And I'll have to fix some stuff up. I think it's going to be a real good learning opportunity for Kevin O'Connell because I think he made some real questionable decisions. And I've been a big KOC guy this season. I think he's a great coach. But mm. I think a lot of the blame goes on him too. Like calling a fourth down play in enemy territory on your first drive. Maybe don't do that especially when it, you give up a touchdown straight away. Like, I don't know if that was the spot. Calling a jump pass from Dalvin Cook that he fumbled. Like, yeah. that's on Cook. Like, don't fumble. But also, don't be cute, Kevin. Like, I understand that it's kind of play where if it works, everyone's like, oh, Kevin O'Connell, offensive genius. Like, it's it's mm. the it's Mahomes, like, Andy Reid thing. But you're not there yet, Kevin. That was a point, that was at a point in the game where we just needed points. Just needed. I think we would have been even if we scored a touchdown there. Like, just get the points. Like, it's both. Cook, don't fumble. You're an NFL running back. Don't drop the ball. It's pretty mm. simple. So a lot of it's on him, but also it's on Kevin for making a play call. Like, just run up the middle or let Cousins throw, who was playing really, really well. Let him throw it into the end zone of Jefferson. Why are you doing this stuff? So, a lot of that. Clean up on offense change anything on defense, be more aggressive. I don't know what they're going to do because they're not going to get rid of Ed Donatel. They've committed to him, which is kind of frustrating, but also I respect 
the organizational uh, structure to go like, we're not just going to get rid of guys because they're not playing well, or we're not, we're not going to get rid of guys just because they're not coaching well in short, like time periods. Like I kind of respect that as an organization that you're not a turnstile. Um, but I only respect it if it works. So they've got to go ahead and change something on defense, play more man coverage, be more aggressive. And mm. Kevin O'Connell said that he said, even though they're not getting rid of Donatel, he said, we're going to have to make some changes and, and they know that. So they've got a month to clean it up. And I'm very much, uh, a person with the frame of mind that like, when you get to playoffs, it's a new season. I know you can take as much as you want yeah. from the regular season and it informs it to a point. But at the end of the day, it's a new season. It's high stress, high stakes, different playbooks are used. Like it's, it's a different thing entirely. So if we can just fix up some things and start fresh in that opening wildcard round, I think we can do something, but that hinges on actually doing something on defense. It's just been frustrating that like we've had these patches, like Dalvin Cook mm. has had a good game or Kirk Cousins had a great game. Justin Jefferson has a great game. Defense has a great game. Special teams has a great game. I'm hoping that the, the game where it all finally comes together is the wildcard round when we probably play like the Giants or the Seahawks and we can get on a run because at this point, mm. it just hasn't happened. Well, it's going to be really inter- interesting to see who gets it. I think the Giants are cooked, man. I think the Giants are toast. I think yeah. they are toasty, toasty. Um, I think they've won one of their last six games. Um, I, I think they are crisped. Uh, <laughs> I think I just have this feeling that they, they are cooked. Um, I the, the Lions, like you just said, you know, who knows what happens when it comes to playoffs. Like, I don't want I don't want the Lions in week one if I'm another Ooh. team. <laughs> you know, because well, like, watch yeah, out and for that's your what's kneecaps. hard. Yeah. Yeah, watch out for your kneecaps. Make sure you don't get dragged out to the water, man. <laughs> um, you know, like they're they're insane. They're insane. They're starting to look like a really scary team. They got Jamison Williams, who I think was a first round pick this year, first round wide receiver. Back, he had two targets in this game, one catch, 41 yards, touchdown. So you're now starting to look at Armin Ra St. Brown, first round wide receiver, Jamison Williams, DJ Chark, Josh, you know, Chark is a really good three. You know, Josh Reynolds is a really good third or fourth. Like, so now this team's getting scary and you've got, Jamal Williams, and you've got DeAndre Swift. Oh, and they also ran Justin Jackson four times for 19 yards and a touchdown. Um, Jared Goff has thrown one interception in his last seven games. I think that's pretty key. But it's the the ability to protect him, man. I I think that's what, man, uh, (laughs) the thing that really, like, stuck out to me looking at the box score, and I'm going to go back and watch this game, I think, tonight. I might just, you know, put on some candles and go watch, you know, the the um one the Kirk Cousins Justin Jefferson um you know connection and two Dan Campbell's grand vision of the Detroit kneecap biters sort of starting to come together four sacks they got uh Cousins three times they got Delvin Cook once for a sack uh I'm assuming that was on the um the yep. or whatever play um, they hit the quarterback nine times. Compare that. Compare the pair. Um, Minnesota, no sacks. Minnesota, three QB hits. Like, if Jared so Goff is that well protected, he's going to destroy you. And, and, and that would be the question. Like, I think that, again, is why, why how these teams in the NFC are so well built. It's around the offensive line and defensive line. They held Dalvin Cook to 15 carries and 23 yards. Like the doll, the, the 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 Detroit Lions are very much reminiscent in that way of the Dallas Cowboys, who have a lot of money invested in their offensive line, the Philly Eagles, who have a lot of money invested in that offensive line, and Detroit is putting themselves in that position where they are going to be able to crack your skull on either side of the line. They are scary. They are scary. We've done an hour. 
I'm happy with that. Are you happy with that? Yeah, I got everything off my chest. I didn't think I had a lot to talk about. Good. And then I feel like I got halfway through what I said and I realized I'm going to be here a while. And so I feel like I got everything off my chest. <laughs> we, we can move on with our hour. That's good. That's good. I think um, some just some little nuggets as we leave. Like it's crazy that Carolina, if Carolina wins out, they're in the playoffs and they win the division. Um, I don't understand them. why people are still saying Tampa Bay has shown up the division. Don't get it. I can understand if you like pick they're them, like you think up. they're going to do it. I, I can see a reality, but it's not shown up, especially because Tampa Bay is still yet to play Carolina a second time, and Carolina has the head to head. Like, yep. I hope Carolina makes it. I yeah. really want them to make it and see what they can do, even yeah, if it's a mess. They are the team I want to see make it to win that division and make it to the playoffs because I'm not saying they would win, but I don't know. Depends who they play. <laughs> I think I think that could be your like, oh, the Vikings get to play the, the Panthers in week one and the, the Vikings go, yeah. oh, okay. And they beat them like 30 to three. Um, the, nice. <laughs> the, um, I think the other storyline is Seattle is is starting to slide back. This is like the giant equation, the giant's equation where I was like, you know, eventually it all levels out. The giants aren't going to go 13 and four. They are going to come back to the, the, you know, the middle ground. And that's what I feel like with Seattle. They're fucking fun. But the problem for the giants is they can't score any points. They can stop you a fair bit though. Generally. I mean, they, they didn't stop the Eagles. Um, but, no the, the problem Eagles. for Seattle is they they can put up a bunch of points to Seahawks. They're fun to watch. Their defense is butt cheeks. Um, <laughs> but, like a white swap, last... Seattle and, and uh, the Giants. Just swap their offenses and defenses. Disagree. That, that would work. Mm. Sure, the NFL has to allow it. A one-game just... wife swap episode. <laughs> Oh my god, that's a great. All right then, so Vikings, who would you swap? Who would you, whose defense would you take? Man, there's a lot of there's a lot of good defenses out there. Mm. I I really I do think the 49ers have the best defense. But mm. I feel like the Cowboys defense is something really fun. 49ers is two. But uh, I feel like the Cowboys have a little bit more of that, like, wrestling factor, where they are just mm. out there to have fun. 49ers seem, like, really well coached, don't give up yards. Cowboys, I feel like mm. they can win a game on their back. And, and that, that would yeah. be a fun defense yeah. to have on my team. Uh, um, some other, like, sliders, Tennessee, get fucking bullied by the Jacksonville Jaguars, 36-22. Outrageous. Denver pushes Kansas City, but that was a weird Mahomes turnover game. Mahomes decided to go three touchdowns, three interceptions. I need to get eyes on that game. Um, Mike White, I'm fascinated. One of my big fucking storylines that I want to follow this week is the Mike White situation because the dude was hospitalized after basically being tenderized with Buffalo Bills shaped meat grinders all afternoon um, in Buffalo. If he can't go, does Zach Wilson jump from unactivated to the starting quarterback? I think there's a good chance because I don't think they want to start Flacco, who's basically like the human fumble at this point in his career. Um, I don't know. That, he fumbles that or he if comes Zach... back against the Ravens. There's only, there's only if... two Flaccos you get, the fumbler or the comebacker. Put it this way. If Flacco is named the starter over Zach Wilson, if Mike White goes out, and I know everyone will say, well, well, Flacco is the backup. So it's just, he automatically moves into the starting position. Not so, in my opinion. I think they like Flacco as the backup on the day. Yeah. If Zach, but if, if, if there's a universe where Zach Wilson isn't named the starter, if Mike White is injured, then the people who said Zach Wilson's Jets career was over uh, might be fucking right. So mm -hmm. there you go. That's it. That's the show. That's done. That's all done. Try and pop back into your ears and offer you a, a preview pod in a few days' time. Um, I just want to sign off with a quote um, 
from the one and only coach Mike Leach, uh, who sadly, really sadly, tragically passed away. Uh, yeah, just recently, last 24 hours. I'm just trying to keep track of it all. Um, we'll end with this quote. It's a little like breakfast. You eat ham and eggs. As coaches and players, we're like the ham. You see the chickens involved, but the pigs committed. We're like the pig. They're like the chicken. They're involved, but everything we have rides on this. So there you go. Rest in peace and power, Mike Leach, you fucking champion. All right. Until next time, guys, get some football up, yeah.